0: Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Library. And if you are new here, welcome. I am your librarian, Katrina, and this is where I am reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me. And then I give you a quick synopsis and tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. This week's book of the week is a new release. I, I broke my no book buying rule. I uh, I heard about it. I did tell my husband, hey, I'm gonna buy this book, it'd be good to have for the house, and he said okay, but I broke it. I think I'm just gonna have to move my, you know, deadline. It's like like reset the clock to July of twenty twenty four before I can buy any more new books. Maybe. But anyways, this week's book of the week is uh Prepare. A manual for surviving worst case scenarios by Mike Glover. The accompanying cocktail is called the Doomsday Cocktail. It is two ounces of rum, three-quarter ounces of lime lime juice, one ounce of simple syrup, a half ounce of fernet, and six to seven fresh mint leaves. So let's do this. Cocktail starts with the mint leaves. My dogs were very keen on the mint leaves. They were like, Mom, I would really like some. So this book is not actually about doomsday prepping. Um, in, in fact, he's trying very hard. To, Mike Glover is trying very hard to change the dialogue around preppers. You know, they, they get a bad rap, and I get it. Um, Hollywood has made them all seem like a bunch of tin foil hat wearing conspiracy theorists, um, and that's not quite right. But that's that's what Hollywood has set up. So. I picked this cocktail because a Google search for prepper cocktails talks about stocking up on water, which is covered in the book, and of course is important. You need water for whatever catastrophe might be, you know, coming. And prepared cocktails returns bottled pre-made cocktails. Plus, and as is addressed in this book, like I said, prepper lifestyle has been kind of mocked in the media as doomsday preppers. So I went with a doomsday cocktail. Uh, and Glover is working on flipping that script to a more nuanced, practical approach to being prepared. I need how much? One ounce of simple syrup. Hold on. Yep. One ounce of simple syrup. You can make your own simple syrup. I just buy mine from the cocktail store because, um, yeah, it's already made and it's easy. So you muddle these together. So let me muddle here and I'll keep going with the cocktail. So first off, author Mike Glover comes at the topic as someone who has been prepared ever since his time in special forces with the U S army. And this book is peppered with stories from his time in the military, his and others that he, he's got from friends, you know, who talk about their experiences in the military and how they handled certain situations. And the first several chapters of the book have to do with the mental preparedness versus physical preparedness, because being prepared starts with the mind. I don't know how long I have to muddle. muddle until the mint is aromatic. There's aromatic to start with. It smells minty. Like chapter one is literally called The Resilient Mind because that is important. Being able to wrap your head around the fact that something bad is happening and you need to be ready to act is kind of like step one, right? Red rum, lime juice, and fernay. Two ounces of rum, two ounces of rum. Glover calls out something that Gen X has been saying about millennials through Gen Z that they are basically weirdly spongy and soft when it comes to resilience. I don't blame the millennials or Gen Z and obviously it's not all of them, all right? It's a stereotype. They're being typecast as lazy and mentally spongy and unable to deal with reality, and that's true for some of them, not for all of them. But he's pointing out that, that mental resilience, the ability to bounce back when something adverse happens to you, it doesn't have to be anything majorly adverse, right? It could be you, you know, lost your phone for a few hours, right? And they'll lose their minds and go into an actual panic attack and shut down and be able to stop functioning. This is not a catastrophe it's an inconvenience and the, the the nuanced difference between those two things has been lost and when it comes to an actual catastrophe they're very unprepared for it and it's not just millennials and gen z there are a lot of you know older folks gen you know gen x gen do we have a gen y did we skip gen y we might have skipped gen y yeah we might have skipped gen y boomers There's quite a few of them who who are just as mentally unprepared, all right? But when he started talking about it, my mind went to Gen Z and boomers. Sorry kids, that's just, I'm old, here's where I'm at. Now, Glover breaks down what happens physiologically when the body is under stress and then goes into detail on how training and practice can help one to overcome that autonomic stress response. Uh, It was particularly interesting, you know, let me let me pour my rum here, and I'll go into what's particularly interesting about that chapter. I just keep grabbing the white rum. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be using up all the white rum, and then be like, okay, I'll use a different bottle of rum, and then the next cocktail I'll pick will call for white rum, and I'll be like, fuck, out of white rum. Buy another bottle of white rum. Okay. What was particularly interesting is he included the almost never talked about but far more common survival response of freeze. Uh, everyone talked about fight or flight, right? Those those are the two things that could pop immediately to mind when people talk about uh, an um, adrenaline dump into your system that you're going to fight or flight. Well, the actual order of response is flight, freeze, then fight. So the urge to run tends to be really fast. And if anybody's ever experienced a true, genuine adrenaline dump uh, from fear, I mean, you can get an adrenaline dump from excitement, but from fear, basically the... All of the blood rushes from your hands, like your hands look go numb, and your feet are fucking ready to fly. And that's just a, a natural response. All right? A lot of people react that way. But the freeze response is not widely studied in humans. I mean, it should be, but there's not really a practical way to do so because humans are so very rarely in a situation where they are faced with a life-altering decision of flight freeze or fight. And he includes an anecdote in there from the Virginia Tech shooting. One of the survivors who freeze was his automatic response. And he froze so very well that the shooter thought he was already dead and so didn't take a shot at him. Um, Exposure to stress will help you to overcome that automatic shutdown that stress induces. I cheated. I went with the, you know, real lime juice because I didn't feel like cutting a lime and I forgot to buy some lime. So... Now, while Gen X, most of Gen X, has probably read this chapter nodding along mean, I was. I'm like, yes, yes, I have worked retail and customer service. I know what bastards people can be, and I've had that adrenaline jump, dump. Unlike that Gen Z who has lived a pampered sheltered lifestyle, Glover is using genuinely stressful situations to explain what's going on and why one might freeze, like the aforementioned 2007 Virginia Tech shooting. And it's really easy to say that you would choose fight or even flight when you haven't actually had bullets coming downrange at you, but the fact is until you are genuinely in that do or die situation, life or death, you don't know how you're going to react. there's no possible way to know and being yelled at by an angry customer might give you a small adrenaline jolt but it's not the same thing as this life or death fear in the moment so like slow your roll guys you're probably i mean i am gen x so i'm gonna take a dig at us now we're not nearly as cool as we think we are we're not nearly as prepared as we think we are we're cynical as fuck not gonna lie i am a completely cynical old lady but I haven't been in the military, I haven't had bullets flying at me. I've I, I haven't had these adverse situations that I've had to survive to say for sure yes I would react in X Way. Okay. Rum lime juice for nay. I had my simple syrup on my mint leaves and shake. Shake. Oh yes. Yes, I put ice in there. We're good. I can shake it now short of entering the armed forces and seeking out combat situations, what can you do to help yourself become accustomed to the kind of adrenaline dump that means, oh shit, this is really real? Now, this is where the angry Karen and customer service does help a bit, because if you become used to the adrenaline jump, drop, dump, used to any kind of exposure to stress and discomfort, you become used to making a decision. And it's making that decision that keeps you moving past freeze and into either flight or fight, whatever, whichever is, is the best for you. I think my fucking real exposure to that was when I was the manager at a ho- small hotels, like 351 rooms. I remember this very clearly. And the city of Reno cut through our water main because they were digging a train trench and it was a sold out nice. I had no managers on site because my managers were all off. I got a courtesy call from the hotel director advising that, hey, you're walking into a shit storm tomorrow. And I had 351 angry customers all yelling at me all day long. So, yeah, I, I do kind of get that because I couldn't just run away and I couldn't really fight with them. So, I learned to deal with that and kind of, I think that's when I became truly dead inside was, was that experience. I think that's when I died inside. Hmm. Where was I? Huh. But it's not just the stress. All right, Glover specifies you need discomfort too and recommends that if you already train with firearms, switch it up, practice moving and shooting. While he doesn't actually mention three gun competitions, I can, and I don't actually do that myself, although I've been looking into it, I can only imagine that that would be some really good training for non-combatants to both get you used to firearms and raise your adrenaline right, and get you used to moving the firearm, so there you go, three for one, because, I mean, a three-gun competition is going to provide you with variables that are outside your control, like wind drift, <laughs> um, people talking in the background, background chatter, and it's going to provide you with a heavy dose of adrenaline, that, the sort that you can only get from competition, um, the, the competition nerves, right, and it's repeated a couple times in the book, you will never rise to the occasion, but you will always fall to the level of your training, like people like to sit back and say, oh, I would do this and this and this. Well, if you haven't trained for it, no, you won't. You won't. You, you, you will never rise up. You will always fall to the level of your training. If your training is sitting back and drinking cocktails on a Sunday morning, that's your training. On the plus side, I have a well-stocked liver, liquor cabinet to drink my way into oblivion should the end of the world happen. Oh, I like that. Damn. Damn. So, I mean, I will include a link to the cocktail. This is from Kentucky Monthly. God damn, that is good. Now, one thing he recommends is if you hate the cold, start doing cold plunges. If you hate the heat, spend some time in a sauna. Or in my case, I can just step outside into that hot Nevada summer. God, I wish I'd moved to New Hampshire. Anyway, when the stress of your environment, whether it is a cold plunge or the dry sucking heat of a sauna starts to weigh on you, conscious breathing, and positive self-talk. And he says, hey, I know this sounds new agey, but these things work. And once you're comfortable with it, you have to know how to pull yourself out of it. That's training resiliency is step one. And most of us just, just aren't. Um, We spent way too long embracing victim culture. And if you identify as a victim, there is nothing resilient about you. You have to flip that internal script from I'm a victim to I survived X, whatever X may be. I survived having 351 angry-ass customers screaming at me all day, one day, back in 98? I don't know. I could look up the year they dug the train trench and then I would know, but I survived it, it. goddammit. This is not addressed in the book, but just kind of as an aside, my own personal thought that popped into my head. You have got to stop lying to yourself. If you've never actually been a victim, then saying you survived is not going to prepare you for shit because whatever you might say happened to you on social media. Your parasympathetic nervous system knows the truth, and it knows if you're a fraud. So just throwing that out there. Um, Glover covers the importance of planning and building in redundancies of planning using something most people can absolutely relate to, which is the fear of a house fire wiping out everything you own. But what's more important, saving the family photo albums or saving the family? And he provides you with examples of how you might go about addressing this situation and preparing for it. He covers situational awareness, uh, what it is, how you can develop it. This, like resilience, is something most people think they have and most are dead wrong about. Uh, I mean, you have to look for what doesn't fit in the pattern. What, as he calls it, what spikes the graft. He includes hypothetical situations and stories from his time in the military, what stood out, what let them know that some shit was about to go down. And it did make me think of my own moment of extreme situational awareness, which was about 15 years ago. I was taking a language class at night and at the local university and class got out at like eight o'clock and I would call my then boyfriend, now husband, and we'd talk on the phone while I walked to my car. Now that in itself is actually bad situational awareness because if you're talking on the phone, you're not paying attention to your environment, right? Boy, maybe I should say this anecdote for next week. Nah, I'll just, if I need to, I'll just repeat it next week. I always parked in the same off-campus lot, which was about a quarter of a mile away, but it was free parking, and parking at universities is really expensive, so free it was. And one night I'm walking to my car, and my boyfriend slash husband is talking, and some part of my brain catches a noise behind me, and I half turn, and there's a guy behind me that had not been there a few minutes ago. So that spiked the graph. Nobody, I'd literally never seen anybody walking the same road before. It was always dark and I was always alone, which is partly why I called my boyfriend. I figure, you know, if somebody grabs me, then at least someone will know I'm gone right away. It's not going to be like, Hey, she just vanished one day. The only place he could have come from was this culvert I had just crossed over. And I told my boyfriend to stop talking and I told him there was someone behind me. I gave him the street I was on, where my car was parked, and how far I was from the car. And then we both got real quiet, and I sped up my walking until I was safely in my car, and the doors were locked, and then I drove away. Now, I am well aware that there is a 99.99% chance that this was just another student who had come from a different class, who happened to park in the same lot I did. The reason I'd never seen him before is maybe his class got out early today. Maybe he just finished his you know, midterm and was able to leave early. I don't know. Maybe he cut through the culvert because it was a shortcut to the parking lot. And his risk assessment of the culvert was completely different from mine because small petite female, six foot tall dude, right? Like statistically, that is exactly what it was. There was a totally benign thing for this, but there's a 0.01% chance that it was someone who had seen me park there in the last few weeks, knew I was always on the phone, walking back and thought I might be a bit distracted from the phone and hence an easy target. I am very relieved I will never know but my own situational awareness made me aware of the possibility that there was potential danger right there. I started parking the campus and paid for the parking and literally just never thought about it again until I read this book. Uh, Glover covers how to make decision to act and how to build mental resilience to recognize a moment to act and the importance of acting the second you see that need. Get off the x he calls it. Just move your ass before the possibility of freeze is even there. Remember, flight, freeze, fight. So just start moving, all right? Even just moving, even if you're not doing anything but moving, can keep you from freezing at a critical moment. And flight is infinitely better than freeze or fight. Fight should be your last possible resort because there's no guarantee you'll win that fight. And this is coming from an Army Special Forces guy. I mean, he could pretty much handle himself in any fight, but he's like, yeah, if you can leave, leave. I get it. It covers the importance of everyday carry, EDC, which is not just having a legal CCW if required. But the things you should carry with you to be medically prepared because you are far more likely to need medical supplies than you are to ever need a gun. At a bare minimum, nitrile gloves, bandages, and a tourniquet. And you're more likely to need that than you would need firearms, taser, or pepper spray, all of which are covered in the EDC chapter. And while this book is not specifically about doomsday prepping the last two chapters do cover the need to bug out like for example in case of natural disaster or civil unrest which we've seen quite a bit of the last few years so there are prime examples like in the case of hurricanes or rioting and um,
1: when you might want to
0: hunker down like if there's a pandemic These things are all covered. And how best to prepare for it. How do you prepare for bugging out? What do you need on hand if you're going to hunker down and stay in place, if you're going to homestead? And he includes how to homestead homestead for your best chance of survival, Not, not just survival, but thriving in case of a natural disaster or civil unrest. And I told my husband he should read the whole book, but he must at least read the last chapter, at least. Because, honestly, unless you have the mental preparation for a sustained live-off-the-land situation or somewhere to bug out to, homesteading is going to be your best chance at even surviving a doomsday scenario. Um, Glover includes how you can thrive in a doomsday scenario because, as he points out, mankind is a social species. We, We need people. We truly don't do well in a vacuum. I mean, there, There's a reason that solitary confinement is considered a punishment in prison. It's not a vacation hotspot. And w- why sentencing someone to solitary confinement has legal restrictions. You can't just throw them in the hot box and leave them indefinitely. You have to say a day or two days or however long it is. And you can't just leave them there. It, it's cruel and, and inhumane. It's a violation of the Eighth Amendment to isolate somebody like that. So it's not just about finding your tribe because most of us, our tribe is going to be whoever we're friends with online and they're probably not local to you, right? You have 700 close friends located all over the world and only know like two people in your immediate area. It's about making a tribe of who is already around you and good news, bad news, folks. The uh, good news is you're going to get to know your neighbors. You're going to build some bridges. The bad news is they probably do not agree with everything you already think and say so you're going to have to actually learn to talk to people and not just scream into a vacuum void of social media i especially like that idea i do because the america is so wildly divided these days and it has become more so over the last decade get to know your neighbors man i mean i know all my neighbors I think the only ones I haven't met personally are the ones on my uh, like my back fence neighbors but I've talked to them over the fence before because my cat's an asshole and will you know harass their dog and I feel really bad about that so I apologize for my cat to them but I know all my other neighbors by first name and that's not a bad starting place if you're gonna hunker down do this now do this before mutual survival becomes a do or die situation Because under the stress of the end of the world, if you're, you know, going full doomsday prepper, that stress is not the best time to be forging neighborly fences. That's it for this week. If you like what you saw, don't forget to hit subscribe. This was an excellent book. Like I said, I'm going to make my husband read at least the last chapter because he's in charge of the cameras on the house. He's the electrician. It's only fair. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.